The views and opinions of the EDGE podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government. Welcome to The Edge, the Education USA Global Exchange Podcast, broadcasting from the central nervous system of our global network, Washington, D.C. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Edge. In this episode, we'll be discussing the upcoming Europe and Eurasia Regional Forum happening in Belgrade, Serbia, September 19th to the 21st. With us today, we have some of our EUR Europe and Eurasia team this morning to talk about all the exciting things coming up for you this fall. Please let me introduce our REAC Gordana Mircic for Central and Southern Europe, also our REAC Peter Baker for Western and Northern Europe, and of course our distinguished advisor Elizabeth Chung out of the Education USA office in Belgrade, Serbia. Elizabeth is also the executive director of the International Academic Center there in Serbia. Glad to be able to be sitting and speaking with you today. So why don't we start with what exactly is a regional forum? Why does Education USA do these? I'll be happy to jump in, Noel. Um, Education USA does these signature events every three years to allow the U.S. higher education community to learn more about um, the regions that we represent. We are super excited to host ours in 2022. It's been a long time since we had one. The last one was in Madrid, Spain, five years ago. So we had to push our event uh, two times because of the pandemic. But we're very, very happy to allow this opportunity to all the new advisors and senior advisors who have had the chance to stay with us throughout this um, pandemic and who are very eager to meet the U.S. higher education community. Our goal is to share more about Europe and yours Asia latest recruitment strategy to allow for the AGIs to meet all Education USA advisors in one place, as this is literally the only event where we have the entire region represented and all the advisors being able to represent their home country. So we're really excited to make this happen this fall. Perfect. All you have to do is get to Belgrade, Serbia, September 19th to the 21st, and we will bring the rest of Europe and Eurasia to you. Here's a question for you. Uh, For those who maybe haven't attended an Education USA regional forum before, but they're perhaps familiar with our annual flagship conference in Washington, D.C., the Education USA forum, how are these regional forums different from these annual events in Washington? For that, I would say, yeah, just the name alone kind of gives a glimpse in some of the differences. So there's the global forum and you're going at that in Washington, DC, you're going to be meeting with 50 to 60 advisors from all over the world, talking about things uh, at that 30,000 foot level and meeting those advisors, having those relationships uh, and finding out information about the respective countries and the regions. But this is drilling down a little bit deeper uh, to the regional level. And you can really focus on maybe more at the country level at the regional forums versus at the global level. And at the regional forums, we expect to have 70, 80, maybe more of our advisors representing all, if not most, of our 46 countries from across Europe and Eurasia. 
So it's just drilling down to that next level, getting those deeper insights from our advisors and hearing their stories and recommendations. And it's kind of unique, right? In the sense of, so in Washington, D.C., as you mentioned, Peter, we bring about 50 of our approximately 550 advisors from all over the globe. And we have our entire REAC, our Regional Educational Advising Coordinator core there in Washington, D.C. But we also have approximately 600 to 700 participants in D.C. So the ratio is like five or six registrants to one of the Education USA team members. But when we do these regional forms, as you mentioned, where you're anticipating the entire um, or at least most of the advisors from EUR to attend, and we actually seek parity at these events to increase networking. So there's more time with Education USA. Yes, there's absolutely more time. And um, Education USA also will include um, at these events, a student fair, which is really important. And I will let Elizabeth talk a little bit about the student fair in Serbia. Yes, go ahead and jump right in here, Elizabeth. I think what really makes this student fair a good location, I would say the first thing is to get out a map. And you will notice that Serbia is not a large country, but you will see that it borders on many other not large countries, which also border on other countries that are not large. So you end up with a lot of people in the region and many of these families will actually travel. That we have students that we're pretty confident that our students will come from all over Serbia. But we also have competitive college clubs and other activities that other Education USA centers in the region are involved in, and that their students, the families will think nothing of making a trip to put their kids there with admission officers. And one thing that I think is really going to add a lot of momentum to that has been that during the pandemic, when we began to be able to send students to information sessions that were virtual. This made a really big difference because often the student will register for a virtual information session and a campus tour. It's done online. We know that in some ways it's not the same, but the whole family is there often in front of the monitor. And I know this because I get calls afterwards where they brief me on what they learned, what they liked, what they didn't like. Did it fit them? Is it a good financial fit for them? Some of them are ready to invest, you know, and pay everything and able to do so. Others may have athletes that have worked their whole lives to get into a college or university, hopefully with some athletic funding. But it has made a really big difference and it has really emphasized to a region that was not terribly aware of it, of what a big difference this in-person contact with the admission officers, what it means, because in the regional higher ed systems, it's very much in a sense, I would say an administrative thing. Here are my grades, here are my transcripts. How am I, you know, with paperwork? And it's being made kind of as an administrative decision. And once that they understand that it's also got to do with the fit 
that they want this personal experience. And I would say that I believe because of that also, I don't know what you think, Gordana, but I think that we can draw off of some of the countries in the region. Absolutely. We're already talking to the other advisors who live in the neighboring countries uh, as to how to make this happen. For those AGIs who are listening to this podcast and have attended the Southeastern Europe tour, we used to take you in a van to travel to other countries to meet these students. But what we're trying to do now is actually bring these students to you. So when you come to Belgrade, we're hoping that you'll be able to meet students from North Macedonia, from Bosnia, from Slovenia, who are going to come and find out about your program. So we hope to see you in Belgrade this fall. It sounds like the EUR team is pulling out all the stops here. You've been waiting a long time through the pandemic to bring back another in-person event. And uh, this is actually going to be a first for one of our regional forums. We don't typically have students from outside of the host country able to attend the college fair. So this is going to be really exciting. Another audience that I wanted to also highlight is the government representatives. We'll have government representatives, not just from the U.S. government, but from the local Serbian government in this case. So this is really one of the unique opportunities where you get to hear from the Ministry of Education, where you get to hear from um, other representatives who are really important about that local country and who can share tips about the workforce development. So it's really an excellent opportunity to Uh, find out what are the most relevant programs for that country and what ways you can use to engage with these government representatives, many of whom will talk about local government scholarships that the countries are providing. And it's a good mix of people that uh, provide a good spotlight on the country that's hosting this event. Gordana, I want to go back to a point that you mentioned about who you can network with at this event. So you mentioned U.S. and local government officials, but there's also networking opportunities with U.S. embassy personnel. Why is this important for high-reb representatives that attend? That's an excellent question, Noel, because what makes Southern Europe different from other parts of Europe, I think, is the fact that it is the U.S. embassy and the local Ministry of Education that's heavily involved in building partnerships with U.S. institutions. So unlike in other countries in Western Europe, where perhaps the the Fulbright Commission might take more of a leading role, in this case, it's the U.S. Embassy that uh, helps create these opportunities. For example, in Serbia, there was recently a call for partnerships for Serbian institutions to pair up with U.S. higher education institutions on a variety of programs, either in a virtual or in-person capacity. The theme of that partnership was left open. Uh, Some of them could include developing um, the departments for American studies. However, what's important to note that is that there is really this momentum and this enthusiasm from the region to focus on building partnerships with the U.S. And I believe that Elizabeth and her team have been excellent at trying to facilitate these relationships. So I think Elizabeth will let you know as to what we've done on a local level to engage with our local counterparts to find their U.S. partners and develop a partnership with them together. Well, with that, one of the things that has um, been very exciting is that we have benefited as the region has, because a lot of work was put into this region during the 90s and the end of the 90s and going forward to where not only have our students traveled and been through workshops and um, done, you know, theater of the oppressed and then um, done these youth parliaments and things, but also 
the U.S. Embassy and the State Department has been very generous with other programs where our young professors have been able to spend time abroad. And we are also having a lot of young PhDs from the US come back to Serbia and teaching on the faculty. So the capacity is there. And I would not limit that just to the public universities in Serbia. I would say that this is a regional thing. So I don't want to sound like, you know, it's only can be done here and that you will be able to meet with these people from these other places. But that we've had quite a few people who come back from these experiences, go to work on the faculty. Um, I found that a lot of them are also involved in think tanks. And I found that the think tank was one way to get into the university, you know, in a roundabout way. And so we've had, we've had cooperation working with the Institute for Contemporary History, also a group at the Astronomical Observatory that is an interdisciplinary program with the Faculty of Mathematics. And at the same time, when it's not just the fa Faculty of Mathematics, it's this whole natural sciences area and even some IT people. And so at the same time that I met with them, I also happened to meet with a US university and their international department. And they had a Serbian professor there who had also attended university here in Serbia. And so often, especially I would say this would probably is kind of would go out to the enrollment management people to scour your campus and look at who's on faculty and who can step in and help also facilitate these relationships. So it's been, um, it's been really good. I've been very pleased with the response and the enthusiasm on all sides for something like this. And it's a great way. And you can talk to all the different advisors, you know, that maybe you have an interest in another country, but that's what's great about the forum is you can really look at what you can do in Europe and Eurasia as far as partnerships. Those are excellent examples, Elizabeth, and really food for thought for our listeners. Again, partnership is one of those words that I hear a lot when I'm speaking with the Europe and Eurasia team. Peter, you want to get in on this concept of partnership before we move on to the next topic within our discussion? Yeah, thanks, Noel. Um, something that I think that we lose sight of uh, and that we don't know enough about as members of the U.S. Uh, international education community is our ability to participate in the European Union's Erasmus program. And I encourage everyone to think of the Erasmus program as not as a singular program, uh, but a suite of programs uh, that do different functions at different academic levels, undergraduate exchanges, um, graduate exchanges, and then European studies programs, um, endowed chairs, area studies programs at universities around the world. And so there are many different on-ramps and many different ways that U.S. students, faculty, and institutions can participate in the Erasmus program. The one that I would like to highlight to everyone is called the Credit Mobility Program, and that is by far um, the largest program in the Erasmus suite of programs. And that's when European students generally receive support for short 
study abroad programs, usually exchanges between institutional partners. And we, as members of the US higher education community and US institutions can also participate in that program to receive support from the Erasmus program uh, for US students to study abroad to a European institutional program partner. And then for those European students at that partner institution to go study in the US. The way to get access to those programs and the way to find out more about them is to ask your point of contact at your European institutional partner. And they are the one who would then have to submit a supplemental application on your behalf, on behalf of the partnership between the European institution and the US institution uh, to participate in the credit mobility program. And then after that is done, there's a additional steps about allowable funding levels and things like that. Uh, but that is the way that US institutions can participate in. Again, ask your point of contact at your European institution, your European institutional partner about that. Are there any other partnerships that US universities should be aware about? One, one thing that I can think of is <clears throat> to be mindful of the host organization of our advisors. And our advisors, one of the blessings of uh, the Europe Eurasia Education USA network is that we have a very high diversity of host organization types where our advisors are placed. And this can range from embassies to Fulbright commissions to nonprofit organizations to American spaces. And from their work in their host organization, they usually have responsibilities other responsibilities uh, in addition to Education USA, um, they will make those linkages that we've been talking about, partnerships um, that they will know about because of the work that they're doing with their respective host organizations. So for example, Fulbright um, oftentimes run um, partnership development uh, programs where senior international officers can come to the region to go on a tour in countries across Europe, Eurasia, to meet other representatives from other institutions to explore uh, in partnership opportunities. So my recommendation here would be when speaking with our advisors, find out more about their host organization, where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And through that conversation, um, there might be some linkages to other opportunities with student recruitment, but institutional partnership as well, maybe even something like collaborative research projects uh, for faculty that they could take home back to the respective institutions to spread the word there as well. Absolutely. One last partnership I would mention, and this is for all of our world regions, and this is when you are having at the regional forum, having those conversations with our advisors they will know information about things like public financial aid programs that students have access to, that they can receive financial support from their home country, and then take that support and apply it to the cost of studying abroad, including to the US. So notable examples that I can think of for that, Norway's Lannikosten program, Sweden CSN, Luxembourg CDS program. Those again are the those countries' public financial aid programs for higher education, and students can take that support and apply it to the cost of studying the U.S. to varying degrees for a short-term exchange or for a full degree, 
And again, our advisors are the experts who know the intricacies of those programs. So take advantage of the opportunity when you're meeting with them at the regional forum to ask questions about that as well. Actually, I think this is a good spot to take a brief pause. Peter, thank you so much. You've given our audience a lot to think about, and we'll come back to the topic of Europe and Eurasia's forum after this short break. Start off your fall semester right and join Education USA in sunny Barcelona for EAIE, the European Association for International Education Conference. Occurring just days before the Education USA Europe and Eurasia Regional Forum in Serbia, make the most of your trip across the Atlantic this September and showcase your institution at EAIE. I'm Amelia, the advisor for Education USA Barcelona, and I invite you to register for a table in our Education USA Pavilion at EAIE. Attended by more than 6,000 higher education professionals from over 90 countries each year, EAIE is an ideal venue for networking and meeting new and existing partners from all over the world. EAIE will occur September 13th through the 16th, and we'll be hosting a pre-conference regional briefing with the Europe and Eurasia REACTS and local universities the morning of the 13th. You can find more information about this opportunity on the educationusa.state.gov website by searching for Spain under the Find an Events tab. Spain is one of the top five sending countries in Europe and one of the top 25 globally. We have Education USA centers in Madrid and Barcelona, and we look forward to welcoming you soon. Thanks for sticking with us and welcome back to our chat on the upcoming Europe and Eurasia Regional Forum this September. One question that we always get asked about these regional forums is we have so many great countries, so many so many great things going on around in the world. How do we possibly select our host location every single time we do a regional forum? And in that vein, how did we come to pick Serbia? And that was a tough call, Noel, because we have so many wonderful countries to choose from in Europe and Eurasia, 46 uh, to be exact. But what we do try to do is to focus on sub-regional diversity. So the previous two forums were held in Eastern Europe. So we had it in uh, Georgia, in Tbilisi, then in Madrid, Spain, in Western Europe. And now it was time for the EUR forum to take place in Southern Europe. And we chose Serbia because it's actually the largest center from the Balkan region. We've seen uh, consistently before the pandemic more than 1,000 students from Serbia study in the U.S. This was There's always been an upward trajectory, and we are excited about this growth, but it's also a unique region with, that has uh, cultural and linguistic diversity. What um, we always like to highlight about the students is that they're really well-traveled, they haven't just explored their country or their neighboring countries. They've been able to go to other countries in Europe or even further. These are students who have cross-cultural and um, multiple linguistic abilities. But I think what we really pride ourselves on and what we always look for in the EUR forum is a strong U.S. partner. So the U.S. embassy in Serbia does a fantastic job in promoting U.S. higher education and culture. In fact, we have eight American corners which are distributed all throughout the country. They're really key in bringing us new audiences and new prospective students that we can work with. One other incentive that we were really happy to hear about is that the number of IB um, international baccalaureate, international baccalaureate schools in Serbia is on the rise. These are again distributed all across the country. So it's not like we're only working in the capital, even though we have a 
very, very seasoned team in Belgrade that I'm super proud of. They have done a fantastic job in the previous couple of years in engaging with audiences outside the capital. And of course, um, like I mentioned before, Serbia is part of the Southeastern Europe tour. This is a tour that allows us to bring in uh, US AGIs to our region. And they've had quite a lot of success in organizing this event in Belgrade. So I think this is a winning combination that we were considering in order to bring the AGIs to Belgrade. You're right. Based upon what you said, Gordana, and also what Elizabeth was saying as well, just a little while ago, is it seems like Serbia is really the gateway to a lot of opportunities within this particular sector of the region. One of the things that we, I mean, I think as a, as a network globally, we always talk about is the return of investment. And there's no better group to talk about this than the parents who help sponsor these students. And when we talk about the student fair, one of the things that the Belgrade Advising Center has lots of experience in is a longstanding tradition of organizing student fairs. They've worked with alumni fairs in the past. They've invited lots of parents to be at the table talking about the experience that their child is currently going through or has gone through. I think there's no better recruitment tool than having a parent truly happy with their with their uh, child's experience. So besides the students who will be coming up to the fair in Belgrade, one other important group to note is that we anticipate parents to be there and they are going to be asking questions about what career services are available on campus, what are the ways that they will support the international students to try to get that professional experience as well as the academic experience. So in preparation for the fair, I think that's something that the AGIs can keep in mind before they start meeting the students when they come to Belgrade. Elizabeth, you want to jump in here and add anything to that? I would say is that because it is not uncommon culturally for there to be a multi-generation household. And if they're not living within a, a kind of a complex situation, often they're in the same building or they're very close. And so Grandmothers and grandfathers, grandmothers known as Baika, Baka, and then the grandfather Deda, that they usually play a big role also in the education of the student. Okay. <laughs> that, uh, and so frequently they will hear or follow something EdUSA has going. And because they're tuned in all the time, because they're typically retired, is that, you know, they're a wealth of information when the family comes home, you know, I heard about this. There's this school. We know someone, the neighbor, her grandson is going to school there. Why is it our grandson? And, you know, we had a student who came from a very small town chemist, and he basically, his grandparents were in the U.S. And so he went to university in the U.S. and lived with his grandparents while he studied. So you can see that it goes all up and down all of the generations are very much engaged. And so we've even had grandparents come to the fair to pick up materials and then take them home. And I guess to make the sale for the kids. <laughs> it sounds like a group project and one in which a family has a student that decides to go for a degree in the United States. And next thing you know, word gets back very quickly to the rest of their community and the neighbors now sending their children to a U.S. higher education institution. So, and who knows, maybe it's something that's a generational thing as well. So the ripple effect could be rather far reaching, not just within the current generation of students, but when they come back and they're alumni and they're advising the next group who feel inspired to go abroad for their education. Very much so. 
So, yeah. The, um, in some of my research, I found that I believe that the first, about 62 Serbs after the First World War, Serbs and Montenegrins traveled to the U.S. to study and get degrees. And, did, and that they had a doctor from the U.S., a female doctor, Dr. Rosemary Morton, who actually organized all of this. And they went over to the U.S. and studied and got degrees. And there's a whole bunch of reports on this. And I have the copies of this because her papers are actually in the National Archives at the Hoover Library in the U.S. And I always say, this may be our first recruiter. This could be our first higher ed rep, you know? And she's even got a monument because she did a lot of things to help the Serbs, but the higher education was a very big deal. One person that I located that her son was still alive and he was 90 years old and that every generation from her forward had studied in the U.S. And so, yeah, it's a ripple effect, definitely. Cordana Elizabeth, do you mind telling us a little bit more about the types of students that our higher ed representatives are likely to meet when recruiting in Serbia, highlighting what drives them? Most countries in the Balkans, they they have children study English at kindergarten. So what surprises people when they travel in this region is that we have students who, by the time they reach high school, they're trilingual. And if in the past what they studied was English, German, French, and Spanish, it's becoming more and more common for students to throw in a language that is very difficult, like Japanese or Chinese or Danish, um, and that really testifies uh, how curious they are about the region and the world itself. Um, And I think that's why they're so successful to take the standardized tests, because they, in a way, they've been preparing it for it at a very early age. Um, And I wanted to point out that when I visit the advising center in Serbia, it's it's always full of life. There's so many people coming in and going. There are two groups of people that I will mostly see. One is absolutely the parents, the parents who are so proud of their children, who are so thankful to the advising team for helping their their child um, study abroad. But it's also almost always the student athletes are there. And in fact, our advising center in Serbia is sort of like our signature advising center that helps train the other advisors in the region on working with student athletes. And I think Elizabeth can talk about what types of sports are becoming more and more popular in Serbia now. Absolutely. Well, basketball. Okay. If you um, turn on your TV and um, tune into an NBA game, somebody is going to be there from Serbia. Okay, or from from the other countries in the region, you know, I can't forget our cousins, our brothers and sisters in the region, the athlete that they refer to as the Joker, Jokic, but they call him the Joker, but he's also from Serbia. And so and then in addition, rowing is popular. This is a region full of rivers. And with a seaside, so we have a lot of rowing. We have male and female rowers, just as we have male and female basketball players. And then also water polo is huge. And I would say, I don't know how closely you follow this, Gordana, but I believe that nearly every year, someone from this region, that it's a team from this region, that at least if they don't take the gold, they're at least in second 
And that's with Roy. And of course, football, soccer, the beautiful game, and some American football. Thank you. I feel like we've learned so much about Serbia today, and I know that there's so much more to understand, which is why I'm really looking forward to the upcoming event in September. Before we go, are there any final thoughts that you would like to share with the audience? So one other important thing about the region is that there are some governments that offer government scholarships to students, countries like Slovenia, North Macedonia, and other countries as well. Even though these are not massive scholarships, so they're not able to sponsor hundreds of students to go as some other regions across the globe might. What's important to note is that students have used that funding and they've been able to combine that source of funding in in order for them to be able to join US campuses and universities. What we've noticed is that some of our long attending members of the Southeastern Europe tour have been really strategic in combining these government resources. And they've been able to create a funnel of students who comes to their campus thanks to this funding that they're using uh, in order to support their studies. So one other thing to ask the advisors when you meet them at their country fair is, is their government offering a scholarship of this kind? Because that will be an important piece of information to take with you when you meet with the students coming to the college fair and asking you about programs and uh, different opportunities to study in the U.S. Elizabeth? The region brings a lot of energy to the campus because as Gordana pointed out earlier, these kids are very well-traveled and they're very curious about the outside world. And that may be simply part of the fact that they do come from smaller countries. Mm. And so they're, you know, they're ready to take every opportunity they can get their hands on. Mm-hmm. The phrase that comes to my mind that you will hear used a lot in the region is Svetsky stall, the Swedish table, which is like a buffet. Our students really go in and they see everything that's on the table and they want to do it. I had a student over the break tell me that he'll probably be doing some international development work in Africa because he's applied for it. And it was funny to see him lean back in his chair and smile and go, but I think I'll get it because I have great grades and a lot of other students don't apply for everything. <laughs> That's confidence right there. Education and studies are a very big deal here that um, students are taught from an early age that it's their job. Mother and father go to work each day. You go to school. And so I think that that reverence for higher education, it says a lot about the whole area. And because of that, it is a good return on your investment. People are very proud when their children make it to the U.S. and they waste no time telling everyone they can get to listen. I think what we're very proud of is throughout the years, they've been there have been institutions who were able to get one or two students coming from the region, but what they've noticed is the return of investment, what happens when those students return to their home countries. It's really important for us to say that we have someone from the region studying at that institution, because you're not actively recruiting someone from Serbia, let's say, you'll be actively recruiting someone from Slovenia, Croatia, Macedonia, all of those countries kind of share the same culture and similar languages. So in that sense, your ambassador becomes ambassador for the wider region. 
Okay, Peter, you want to get in here? Just like to mention everything that's going on there and all the Serbian students is reason enough to come to the region, but we encourage all the university representatives to think about stretching their time in Europe out a little bit longer. And we've intentionally organized the fall schedule as best as possible to provide convenient, hopefully seamless travel between a couple of big events. And actually there's more than just two of them for you to think about. But the two that we have in mind would be to start your time in Europe at EAIE, which is the equivalent of Europe's NAFSA. And that's going to happen in Barcelona this year, uh, the 13th through the 16th of September in Barcelona. Uh, we're going to have an event uh, just for U.S. university representatives the day before the conference starts. Uh, so we encourage uh, U.S. university representatives to think about arriving at the beginning of that week, uh, meet with our advisors who will be there and the Education USA Europe Eurasia team who will be there. EAIE is particularly uh, a good event to meet with institutional partners. And we know that Europe being Europe, most U.S. universities have multiple institutional partners across the region, and that's the event where you'll most likely be able to meet with them and see them. And after maybe a couple of years, two, three years even, of not seeing one another face to face, talk about your partnership, talk about your student exchange agreements, uh, research opportunities, uh, other things that you can develop with your institutional partner. And then immediately after that, after EAIE, then there is a travel day built in um, for the university representatives then to go on to Serbia. So think about maximizing your time uh, when you do come to Europe. And then after that, we do have a series of student recruitment fairs as well, um, specifically the one right after the regional forum in Serbia would be the large and well-established, the longest running Education USA recruitment fair, which is London College Day, which actually stretches out over two days. And that is at the end of the week of uh, the regional forum in London. And we've, again, built in travel days. So when you're in the region, flights are convenient, uh, less expensive than in the U.S. And to really maximize your time here for EAIE, then the regional forum, and then perhaps go on to some recruitment fairs that our advisors in the different countries will be offering as well. Gordana, go ahead and take us home here. Those global charters out there who haven't seen Belgrade or haven't visited Serbia, it really looks lovely in the fall, and it's it's also a fun country to visit. I, I do have to add that. You'll notice how hospitable Elizabeth and her team and Serbia in general is. Uh, as a country, we have some fun activities planned. It's not just work. Our opening is going to be scheduled at the National Museum of Serbia, so you'll learn a little bit more about the history of the country. We're genuinely very, very excited to host the reps uh, in Serbia, especially those who've never traveled in the region, who don't know what it's like, maybe think about the stereotypes of the region, I bet we'll dispel some of those stereotypes. So we're just very excited to host all of you in Belgrade this fall. Thank you, everyone. And thank you to our listeners. That's a wrap for this episode on the upcoming Europe and Eurasia Regional Forum. If you would like to find more information on this event, please visit educationusa.state.gov and select Serbia under Find an Event and see where the edge takes you. We'll see you in Belgrade. The views and opinions of the EDGE podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government.